Welcome to the 5 More Minutes Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Shelly Moore for our first podcast of the year. You may notice that my voice sounds a little froggy because I am just recovering from uh, the cold. The flu season hit me hard. I was traveling last week. I was supposed to go to Yellowknife and I didn't make it. I got sick at the airport and had to fly home. So Yellowknife, if you're listening, I am so sorry I didn't make it to you, but I'll make it up. I'll make it up to you, don't worry. So, it is the new year, and um, so, what? let's see, what did I do for Christmas? Um, I went to, my family lives in New Jersey, so I went to Cranford. Um, this was the first time that Jessica has spent Christmas with my family, and so, uh, it was great. She just took over the kitchen and um, helped my Aunt Jojo with all the cooking, and so I think everyone was pretty excited, and she made really, really delicious butter tarts. They were the best. Um, and so, yeah, we came home and now we are, we are, you know, right back into kind of, um, the second half of the year here. And, you know, it was interesting because I was kind of paying attention to social media over time, um, over the last couple of weeks and noticed, you know, a lot of people are kind of like jumping off of the new year's resolution bandwagon. And I think it's really interesting because the theme that seems to be emerging over the social media platforms is really just to like, you know, be yourself and, you know, remembering that not everyone's going to be happy with you. So just to kind of go out there with your intentions and live life, which has been really good for me because, you know, um, when you were in, when you're in the role that I have and you're kind of in the public a bit, um, with an education, you know, not everyone's going to be happy with you. And, and some of the haters have emerged. And so it was actually a really good reminder to, you know, just, you know, to, to relive, um, and revive my professional mantra, which has just been from day one to just, you know, do what's right for kids, for all of them, and do what's best for ourselves. And as long as that's not oppressive, you do you, friends. And so I'm kind of holding on to that this year is, you know, to keep 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 doing what I believe and, and what we all kind of have come together to, to work towards. Um, it was a little tricky because uh, if you're in Canada, you also know that there was a really big uh, news article released in the Globe and Mail and it was uh, it was it was tricky. I got a lot of a lot of response. Um, Twitter was a flurry, people asking about my response to that article. And so it's it basically, you know, like the title itself was "Inclusion is Failing Our Kids." And so even just the the title is is um, triggering. So, you know, I think that you know we're we're in a battle right now um, as you know inclusion is is trying to you know, uh, evolve itself into, into the status quo. But one thing I really took away from that article, I mean, it's really well written and I think it tells a really true story. Uh, it talks about this one little guy, Grayson, but what I really realized in both the article and all the responses to the article is just what a big misunderstanding the world has about inclusion. Um, it's getting mixed up, mixed up between, you know, what is integration and mainstreaming and it's just causing a mess because the stories that are being shared in these responses, like I read them and I'm like, what they're describing is not inclusion to me. And so I think, you know, really also stating the intention for the work for this podcast and for the videos is just, you know, really pulling back, like, what are we actually talking about and debunking some of the myths, um, about what people think inclusion is. And so, 
I'm hoping that this is part of the work of getting people on the same page. So if you haven't seen the five more minute video, that's it's basically was the timing was perfect because that was kind of the response to the article, which was this idea where inclusion is really moving away from you know, making accommodations or retrofitting this community for someone, um, so this extra or different person, as opposed to how do we just, you know, teach everyone from the start and kind of work with the di diversity of a community that includes everyone. And, um, you know, I saw a tweet the other day that really just summed it up. I should find out the name of who said it. I'll, I'll tweet it again. But it said, you know, diversity without including disability isn't diversity, it's ableism. And I've, you know, that really spoke to me because I think, you know, if this conversation was happening about race or culture, just the conversation wouldn't be happening because, you know, whether we're fighting for segregation of race or inclusion of race, well, well, we know what the answer is. You know, sometimes it might have been hard and is hard, but it doesn't mean we go backwards. And so I really look to that as um, what this quest is, is that the, the going backwards cannot be an option because this is really an equity issue. So... um what I've really kind of where I'm kind of going with this is this idea of, you know, because there's been such a misunderstanding, we need to, we need to come together and share stories of what is working, what is what is what what do we need to actually fight for? Because if we don't know what inclusion is, how are we going to advocate? And that goes for teachers, that goes for parents, that goes for, you know, administrators and, and even like government officials. So. Um, that's the benefit of having short videos. So if you haven't seen the video, go take a look at it because this is really the big idea of, you know, closing that question about what is inclusion, you know, maybe not forever, but for now is how do we support diversity in general, which leads me to our guest for today. And I can't even, you know, it was kind of um, a blessing in disguise because our guest today is Faye Brownlee. And if you don't know Faye Brownlee, she is just this phenomenal leader. Um, you know, she she's based in British Columbia and does work within BC, but is known all over the world for her work with inclusion and literacy. And, you know, originally, uh, and you'll hear this in the interview, but I had interviewed her to actually be aligned with the video from December, which was the end of average, which, as you know, at la the last minute, we got actually Todd Rose to be on the podcast. So it kind of bumped Faye, but I'm, I'm kind of glad um, not because she deserves to be bumped, but because I think that actually um, her interview aligns really, really nicely to this because one of her books is actually called Student Diversity. And um, I, I mentioned this in the interview, but, you know, she really stood out to me early in my career because she was one of the first authors that I ever read that talked about inclusion from a classroom perspective, not an individual perspective. So I think that actually it's worked out for the best. Because Todd Rose helped us to see why, you know, we need to move away from the green. But Faye is actually someone who we can turn to to give us some really um, strategies and real life stories about how to actually do that in ways that are good for kids. So um, this is Faye Brownlee. She's an educator, author, staff developer. Um, she is the author of many books, which I will post, including Student Diversity, Learning in Safe Schools. It's all about thinking. And I've known Faye for a long time. Um, I was very lucky to start my, my teaching career in BC in the Richmond School District, which is just the like breeding ground of leaders. Um, Richmond School District is just does a phenomenal job of um, developing leaders from the ground up. And so Layton is from there and Faye is from there. Carol Fullerton is from there. If you know Jennifer Cates, she's from there. So um, I've been very lucky to grow up in this collective of people who have mentored me. And so um, this is, this is Faye Brownlee. Thank you.
Well, good morning, everybody. So we are, what is it, November 24th. We are sitting in Faye's lovely home and looking at the river, and it is a cold, blistery day in November. It is American Thanksgiving. And um, I was thinking about who to talk to for, for this month's podcast, and Faye Brownlee immediately came to mind. So hi, Faye. Hi, Shelley. How are you doing? I'm good. I hope um, you noticed I raked up the leaves. I did. I noticed the leaves. Um, the best part about podcasts, Faye and I have both decided, is that both of us are like in our pajamas. We are living large on the Sunday, the Sunday afternoon. Um, so, um, Faye, thank you for meeting with me today. You're welcome. I know that you're a very, very busy lady. Um, I admire what you're doing. Oh, Faye. Uh, if you don't know Faye Bradley, definitely look her up. Um, she's basically like the inclusion matriarch of, I would say, the world. Um, I have learned <laughs> everything from that I know from, from her. Um, her and Leighton uh, worked very closely together in the district that I kind of grew up in, um, not as a student, but as a teacher. And mm-hmm. so they kind of took me under their wing. And so I'm very lucky to call Faye a friend and a mentor. Why, thank you. She's the only person who showed up in a fascinator at my wedding, and so she got, like, big props for that from, from the family. Yeah, <laughs> I know, yay. So, Faye, uh, today, um, our theme for this month is really design, you know, and, and, you know, the broad sense of the term. Like, moving away from how do you design to just, like, conceptually the, the importance of design on some really big, fundamental big, big ideas in education. Uh-huh. So we're not looking for like a one one size fits all strategy. We're kind of looking at it more as a, you know, how does this, how can this influence us in the day to day life of of how we see kids and how we see classrooms? Yes. See, aren't yes. you perfect for this? Yes. Yes. I'm liking this because it's what I would call a mental model. It's if a we, mental model. We have to see? have a mental model of what counts in teaching and learning. See why I asked. See why I'm talking to her. Okay, so um, the four questions um, that are connected to the the video that was released earlier this month, because um, we use the the, play, the the metaphor of the airplane, which you've heard before, right? And and um, the, it's a, it's a true story about how the the government in the U.S. tried to meet the needs of their pilots because their pilots didn't fit in the plane, and after and that's a story by Todd Rose. So if you haven't read his book, it's called The End of Average. And what I really took from that story um, was this this connection or this parallel to the kind of debate that we have in, in, in curriculum. Like you kind of have to, I feel like oftentimes we have to make this decision about is curriculum, is it going to be effective or efficient, but it's very hard to do both, you know? And so the question is around, I think you can do both and, yes. and how you do it. No, totally. Right it's not a dilemma at all, no, but it's only it's a, a dilemma. Exactly. It's only a dilemma if you don't design ahead of time. Right. Um, and so the four questions that helps us around this mental model of design, um, I'm going to talk to you about. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I, I've already decided. I know. You're so but ready. But your piece is, it's, it's the you about what you're going to design because it's the ownership, yes. the roles, and responsibility of the teacher. Oh, my goodness. Yes. There's your piece. You know what Leighton said in the podcast a few weeks ago? He's like, because um, we were talking about accountability, right? And he's just like, it's less accountability and more about our professional responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Ugh, to, yeah. like, prevent the fires as opposed to react. Because you can't design if you assume that you're going to go with the prescription. Oh, bless you, Faye. Okay, Okay. here's your first question. We're done already. I know. And that (laughs) was my podcast with Faye. Okay, so the first... Talk talk among yourselves. (laughs) Yes. The first question um, connected to kind of this metaphor is the importance of um, getting to know your learners, Mm -hmm. right? And how you can't design 
until you know who your learners are. And, and, and the reason why I love talking to you about this is because you were part of developing the class profile, which is the very first strategy I ever used in when I was a teacher to get to know my learners and when I was working with teachers to get to know learners. And so you, um, you have a lot to say about this. So what do you think about the importance of getting to know your learners? Okay, so um, let me backtrack on the class profile yes. for a moment because yes. um, that was Judith King and I yes, it was. Um, together mm -hmm. um, looking at some of the work that had been going on with mm -hmm. the beginning of the year opening and those of us in uh, support services meeting mm -hmm. with teachers and telling them yes. all the things they should know about students and their specialties. Yes. Um, you could watch the body posture change mm -hmm. uh, because you teachers would come into the meeting thinking mm -hmm. that they kind of knew their kids a little bit and then we would just do this information dump mm -hmm. about all the bad news and mm -hmm. they would fall apart. Right, right, right. Um, and then we'd say, but don't worry, we can help. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it was, it was, we realized we were really going about it in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, because as you know, and all the work that you've done, we have to work from a strength-based yes, perspective. There's absolutely. just, there's no option. There's in anything that we're doing, we mm -hmm. start with what, what do you do? Bring? Yeah. And what does everybody bring? So, mm -hmm. so when we think about that, class review process or the class profile, that's exactly what it is. It's mm -hmm. a conversation that's rooted in the experience of the classroom teacher because mm -hmm. that's where kids belong and need to be. And so through the lens of the classroom teacher, yes. we look at um, who's in your class, what strengths does your class exhibit as mm -hmm. a whole, what areas are you trying to strengthen, what kind of goals do you have for them, and then let's make yeah. some decisions and get on with the plan. Yeah, And all the rest of us line up around that classroom teacher yeah. to support the programming that needs to go on. Well, and that's what I really took from that, and it really helped me shift my understanding of my role as a support teacher from my job, I thought, was to support kids in mm -hmm. classrooms, mm -hmm. but I realized through the class review process that my job was to support teachers to support a classroom, and that really shifted how I interact with teachers. And it turned, it moved me away from being an interrogator to actually a support for teachers, as you know. And and that was was very much more welcomed at the same time by classrooms for sure. And it's a collaborative piece. It is right. So instead of us giving recommendations out or coming and providing a direct service, mm -hmm. and it's not that we still don't recommend and that we still don't provide a direct service, but mm -hmm. we have to do it in collaboration with the classroom teacher, totally. and we have to honor the voices. Um, and the values mm -hmm. of the classroom teacher, first and foremost, because that's yeah. where the child is living. And the more I'm talking to people, the more we're also realizing the importance of recognizing diversity of teachers. Oh, my gosh, And yes. to know that support might look different to different teachers in different classrooms, mm -hmm. and that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell me some of the things that you would um, ask a teacher or have a, have a conversation with a teacher about um, ways to get to know kids. Well... One of the parts of my job that I like the best is um, working with teachers in co-teaching a lesson. And mm -hmm. so we design a lesson together, usually in front of a team of teachers mm -hmm. so that they're mm -hmm. all involved in the design process. And then we go and co-teach the lesson and then we unpack the lesson and talk about what we noticed through mm -hmm. the eyes of the learners and next steps and such. So when I'm starting, I start always with the same questions. Tell me, no matter who it is, um, yeah. how much experience they have, um, what subject they have, mm -hmm. what grade they have. My first question is, tell me about your class and the strengths of your class exhibits. Very much like the class review. Yeah. Um, tell me about what areas you're trying to strengthen mm -hmm. with your class. Mm -hmm. um, tell me what 
you would like to get out of the lesson mm-hmm. when you and I are working together and planning together. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me about big ideas or themes or passions or topics that you're currently mm-hmm. working on with your students that we can make our work mm-hmm. together fit better into the context of what life looks like yeah. in there. And then once we've got that on the board, we can yeah. start to make decisions. You know the community, yeah. And you mm-hmm. can, yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does that process impact design? Well, I think the whole design process has two major chunks to it. One is, it's like a balance beam. Mm-hmm. So you've got this balance beam going, and on one end you have the learners, and you have to figure out who those kids are mm-hmm. and what they're bringing to the process. And on the other side, or the other end of the balance beam, you've got the curriculum. Yes. And you have to figure out what is it that you're trying to teach. Oh my goodness, this is going into my next question. Like. Yes. And so... As a teacher, you have to do both. Yeah. And so you have to figure out who these kids are and you have to figure out what you're mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. Um, and then until you, when you've got those two things figured out, then you design. And mm-hmm. what your piece is, is you, your design piece is you running back and forth on that beam because mm-hmm. you, you make a plan. You have to, you know, Layton's phrase, no plan, no point. It's true. You make your plan, but your plan has to be responsive because yeah. your plan changes constantly based on what your students are doing. Mm-hmm. So your goals don't change. Part of your plan is mm-hmm. your end target. It's your teaching with the end in mind. So you mm-hmm. have to have decided that. Otherwise, you just wander aimlessly and you fall off that beam. Yep. Um, but you start with that piece. You've got your end. And then you keep saying, okay, I'm trying this. Mm-hmm. How are my kids moving along on that? I may need mm-hmm. to redo. I need to rejig something. I can go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I can skip forward, skip sideways. Um, yeah. But I'm always, I have my eyes on the target yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about who are they? What do I need to do? Well, what I love about that visual is the goal is balance. You know what I mean? To making sure that you're responding in a way that kids can be successful. Well, and what I love is, which is kind of leading to the next question, um, and exactly I was going to bring up no plan, no point, Mm -hmm. which I heard from you. So it's good to know that that's from Layden. I think Um, it is from Layden. Yeah. Just because I always say, I'm like, you know what Faye Bromley says? Okay, well, I'll take credit for it. I think it might be late. Or, you thanks, know, Layton. we might have been doing it together. Who Thank, knows? Thanks, Layton, yeah. for that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel like um, that whole backwards design process, I really misunderstood it until recently because when I thought about the goals, designing my goals, I, I realized that I wasn't looking at the end in mind for goals. I was looking at the end for tasks. I was like, ah, everyone needs, right? Yes. There's a huge difference. Okay. And this was a recent learning for me. And so I was like, yes, I'm backwards designing. Everyone's going to do a TED Talk. Yes, I'm backwards designing. Everyone's going to write an essay. Like, it's very clear what my destination is. But if you ask me what goals I was hitting, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so a big learning that I'm realizing right now, especially with this renewed curriculum, is you have to know the goals. The goals is the destination, not the task, because yeah. you can have many ways to meet those and goals. the tasks help you get absolutely to the absolutely and you have to have tasks very good tasks yeah. right and yeah. the other thing i learned from you is the importance of having tasks that are actually meaningful and helping you to see that kids are meeting the goal that's right right yeah. and so and it's okay to have some of those tasks mandated i think that's another oh, thing that's really yeah, a confusion yeah, yeah. with the redesign curriculum yeah, is that yeah. it's always about choice choice yeah. is enormously mm-hmm. important but we can't um, set kids up for um, failure no, by not no, no. having some of these pieces yeah, yeah. be some of the mandated. Well, and I, and I said so. It's, it's a it's a balance. It's totally piece. this balance, and and you know you talk about often the word stretches, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of you know how do we use our strengths to build our stretches? And I like what you said about strengthen, and I think about a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's a big misunderstanding that oh well they're not good writers, they don't have to write. Well, no, everyone still has to write, but it's also knowing that really well designed tasks 
give opportunities for kids to show they're learning in multiple in ways, multiple ways right? and so they don't have to rely on a muscle that is needs to be strengthened. well and i would say because you know that that's that's another major passion of mine is the whole yeah. is literacy yes um and i think that's another part of getting to know your kids is that right. i need to be starting at the beginning of the year um and checking in all the time to see what strengths do they bring mm-hmm. as readers and writers yeah, and so yeah. um you know, the, my work with performance-based reading assessment, mm-hmm. with DART and the early yeah. primary reading assessment and the French immersion one, is, it's mm-hmm. all based around that. When we work together, mm-hmm. we can yeah. um, give a common piece of text yeah. in an authentic teaching situation, Absolutely. building background knowledge, giving everybody an access point. Mm-hmm. Um, we can have these conversations and find out what do the kids do yeah. as readers, how as do they readers. view themselves as readers, and then yeah. how do we support that continuous and continuing yeah. development. And, and yeah. so we need to be doing that yeah. on a regular basis rather than mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, I, I need to not let these kids participate because they won't be able to do it. Everyone, Everyone can, can do, do it. it. Yes. It's, it's my job totally. is to support you so you can do it yeah. in a joyful and mm-hmm. meaningful and mm-hmm. non-demeaning way. Um, yeah. And we don't have any option but to do no, that. No, absolutely. And I think um, part of the Renew curriculum that I've really found, but it is misinterpreted, is this idea of, our definition of text has moved away from just reading and writing to include also mm-hmm. visual and oral language, but it's not but abandoning. Not We're not abandoning reading and writing. And writing. We're adding to reading and writing. Yeah. And so I, I, I want that to be really, really clear mm-hmm. to people who are listening. Like we are still raising readers and writers, right? Absolutely. But we're also not only relying on those two methods as and input the, and output. And the reading and writing that students are doing is opening more doors. Oh, for it's so true. And so it's true. deeper, more thoughtful. Yeah. Now, Faye, I don't even know if you remember this conversation, but it totally changed how I think about this. Because, oh, wow. Because okay. we're talking about strengths and stretches, yeah. right? And I remember I asked you once. This was early. This is when I was still wearing toques, okay? okay. And I and said... And on your bike with your little... Totally, absolutely. Yeah. I rode a scooter to work every day in the rain. Yes, remember yes. This? Oh, I totally remember And this. I remember because when I grew up, it wasn't strengths and stretches. It was strengths and weaknesses. Yes. And I said, I'm like, Faye... What's with this word stretch? Like, isn't that like is that a little too fluffy? And you know what you said to me? You're like, oh no, Shelly, stretches are purposely chosen. And you said because when I think of weakness, I think of a broken ankle. Do you remember this conversation? I, I totally know. I'm so glad to have people in my life okay. that can remember things that come out of my mouth. Because I, no I tell this story all the time. Okay, good. And so this is what you said. Okay. This is what you said. You're like, Shelly, when I think of a weakness, I think of a broken ankle. Now you can have the bankroll of Oprah. Once you break your ankle. It'll never be as strong as it was. A stretch hurts, but the more you do it, the stronger you get. That's what you said to me. Ooh, Isn't that honey, good? I was having a good day. You were having day. a great day, and I've always held on to that because when I think about, because we're moving into goals now, yeah. this conversation about goals, and often the goals I was choosing were goals that kids couldn't actually do anything about. Because in special education, this whole deficit model, I'm like, oh, you have a learning disability in memory. Let's fill your IEP with goals about memory. That's not what this is about, right? This isn't about working on things that kids can't change. And we understand this in the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. We don't understand this in the intellectual world. And so that really, really helped me to say the goals we're setting for our class are things that are hard for sure. They have to be. They have to be hard. They're absolutely... We have high expectations Totally. But these are things that make you stronger, not just remind you that you can't do something. And make us stronger collectively. Totally, yes. Well, it's like I was in Yellowknife a couple weeks ago, and Carol had just been there, Carol Fullerton. I'll get her on here one day. Yes. And she had made her, um, her... learning intentions for the class, we can statements instead of I can statements. And I'm like, 
That is Good. so cute. I never, but why not? We can do this. We can mm-hmm. do this mm-hmm. together. And I just, that whole idea of that collective goal and that collective support and that collective community it is just as important as, 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 it's everything. Absolutely. It is everything. Absolutely. And I think this actually leads to the next question, okay. which is, you know, within the we, where do I stand, right? And um, I, I've had many, many conversations about kind of the old language of adaptations and modifications mm-hmm. and what accommodations do kids need. Mm-hmm. But those are all things you do after teaching has happened. And I think what this is really targeting is if you design right, you don't need accommodations and adaptations and modifications anymore. Right. And so part of this is, is how do we, what's the role of design in ensuring that the eyes and the we's, right, mm-hmm. are getting the supports they need and the challenges they need before the teaching happens, which is the design aspect of it. And so and we're, oh, oh, for and sure. Yeah. And yeah. during for sure. But like, how do we know and what does that look like in the design process would be my question for you. Well, I think it's back to thinking about mm-hmm. you're back to your balance of yeah. learners and curriculum. So what yeah, is it yeah. that I'm trying to get them to learn? And then what do I do to set up everybody for success mm-hmm. so that they believe that mm-hmm. they can participate? Yeah. They understand what the rules of participation are, the mm-hmm. expectations of participation are, and yeah. they understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. Totally. Um, it has to be so clear. And then if I can do that yeah. in, in a... It's not the joyful way, in a way that makes kids want to participate. Yeah. I think we can get our learners to do everybody anything. Oh, I totally agree. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to market it. We have to make it desirable. we got to sell it. We do. We do. Um, and it doesn't mean that it has to be a big razzmatazz, Mm-mm. flashy dance no. piece. But it has to be looking. We have to think about, is this something that that kid, this group of kids mm-hmm. would want to participate in. Well, and we'll have success. All we have is compliance. And no, cares? and There's that's no never learning. the goal. And, and I think, you know, I find the biggest, when I'm working with kids who, who have difficulty, the biggest supports for them are finding success early. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And building on that because well, it's that whole zone of proximal development. Well, if it's too hard, they're just going to shut right down. Absolutely. And yeah. I think um, everybody's innately curious. Oh, I yes. Yeah. They think it's safe enough totally. to be curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I can give you a tiny example of this. So mm-hmm. I was doing, I was introducing um, the the DART reading assessment to mm-hmm. a group of grade eights, um, a, great, a group of grade eight teachers who hadn't done it before mm-hmm. um, just last month. And the class that we were going to be doing this in uh, was a pretty complex class with real variety of kids. Mm-hmm. And it just happened that the day was all organized to do it the classroom teacher um, was absent. So we had a TTOC in the rooms, mm-hmm. which of course, you know, shifts things around yeah. in grade eight, as you know, in BC is the first year of high school in many places. And mm-hmm. so it just adds another layer of angst yeah. for students. Um, and it was new. So we all come sort of flooding into this room. And the passage that the students were going to be reading was about roller coasters. Yeah. It's called Thrills and Chills. And so there's no point in starting until you actually care about finding out about roller coasters. Right, so right, right. <laughs> doing all this so true. stuff, and I'm doing a little whip around where everybody has to tell me, you know, something about mm-hmm. tell me a roller coaster story that, that you have. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Just make some comment about mm-hmm. roller coasters. What do you think? Um, and it takes a while because you can mm-hmm. see pretty quickly in this yeah. class. Remember, the classroom teacher's not there. So 
there's not anybody who's sort of more expert right. on these kids. Yeah. Um, you can see the kids who see themselves as successful. They've got lots of things to say and they'd like yeah, to say yeah. several things. And I'm saying, oh no, you only get one. We've heard all voices. Mm-hmm. And there's a little group that are pretty reticent to speak. Mm-hmm. And there's one guy who's really reticent to speak. And mm-hmm. he's pretty identifiable because he's got his hood up yeah. and he's got his cap on and he's looking down. Um, and it turns out that he has not to be on a roller coaster. But I eventually get his response and the hoodie off. And I said to him, okay, I'm going to tell you about two roller coaster experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. And if I have to go on one of them again before I die, I need your advice on which one (laughs) should I go on. Because I was like super terrified and here they are. Um, And so I explained them to them again. And of course, everybody's trying to give me advice. What would you do? And I said, no, no, I want to know yours. Because you are the person who hasn't been on one of these yet. So you know differently than anybody else does. Yeah. And off he was, ready yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. And then when they started to, because that's all he needed, yeah. was a way in. Because he knew things differently than anybody else did. But it fit. gave him status. But fit. That's the piece. But this is an assessment. Aren't you like building their prior knowledge? Isn't that cheating? It's supposed to be. What's the point of assessing something if you don't know what you're being assessed well, on? Or you have no well, one welcomed into the community. It's almost like that whole thing about supports aren't cheating. It's just, Assessments shouldn't be about teaching. It shouldn't about be about cheating. We're not trying no, to catch sort you them into categories. And did everybody hear that? Did you ever hear that? Did everybody hear that? <laughs> Honestly, it's my biggest question. And I think you know, like you know, people think that they're not allowed to have these conversations and are allowed to build kids up, and they're not allowed. Oh, don't and I just, start. I know don't it's so unfortunate. Teaching if the group isn't with you, why would you? Totally. It's yeah. You know, it, it's totally get him, Get him into it. Get him excited. Yeah. It's okay. Well, it's and so, okay. and then, you know, the thing that was really funny about this is that then I, I didn't know all the adults in the room, but it turned yeah. out that we had a couple of educational assistants in there. And, and one of them in particular works mm-hmm. with some of these kids. And so the minute they got their, their booklets to start reading, yeah. one of them moved in to help this boy read. Yeah. And I'm waving and saying, no, no, don't yeah, try. Yeah. let him try on his yeah, own. And yeah. he did not want any help to yeah. begin with. And then yeah. you, you could see her approach and, and yeah. he's getting his back up and the hood comes back on. Right. Get away. Get away. No, totally. It'll be fine. And, and this is, we and this underestimate is, what our kids can do. do. And I find sometimes without that kind of boost that like, it doesn't matter what supports are available if the task isn't accessible, no. they're not going to buy in. And so then, then, then this, and we think that people, if the task isn't exactly, yeah, yeah. That's a you good know, point. It's, that's there's a good the point. academic piece and there's the emotional piece, yeah. and it, they're not separate. You know, it's our focus no, on no. social emotional learning. It's not a separate thing. Mm-hmm. It has to be how we teach. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to really look at that whole yeah, design yeah. model, that's who's so there. Oh, okay. So we've talked about getting to know our learners. Yep. We've talked about the importance of knowing the goal. Not just the task, yeah. but the goal. Mm-hmm. And now we've talked about kind of the importance of supports, yep. right? Support mm-hmm. of support. And also challenge, like both ends, Oh, absolutely. Right? Yep. Both ends. Yep. So now the, the, the part that is is becoming, I think actually this last question is really what makes the new curriculum different from the previous. And mm-hmm. that's the whole concept of, for a very long time, I think us as, as educators have been the ones who have been making the adjustments for the kids in terms of what supports they need and what challenges they need. And mm-hmm. so the fourth question is really connects to student agency and self-regulated learning, where it's not about regulation to be compliant. It's about what do I need to learn, mm-hmm. right? And really getting kids involved in that process. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering what your thoughts are and the importance of, through that design process, the involvement of kids. Well, I think it's um, whenever 
kids are working on any task, the place that we should be is moving around, having one-on-one conferences with them. Mm -hmm. And I think the framework that I have in my head when I'm conferencing, no matter what the task is, Mm -hmm. is I want to stop with the student and I want to be eye-to-eye with them and Mm -hmm. I want the student to be able to tell me... um, What's working and what I'm doing just Oh, yeah, now. I love that question. What's not working as well as I would like it to be? Mm-hmm. And what is it that I need to be doing? Yeah. So we're starting with student agency. It doesn't matter who it is doing and yeah. what it is that they're doing, that, that I need to have that framework in my mind. Mm-hmm. So when I stop by mm-hmm. the spot where you're doing your work, mm-hmm. I can say to you, so tell me what it is that you're doing yeah. and what are you trying to do? Yeah. And is there something in here that I can help with? Or yeah. I can I can give advice, and I'm great at giving advice, <laughs> but... I don't want to give advice until I found out what the kid thinks totally. they're doing and that, well at already. And yeah. then I can say, building mm-hmm. on that, it's a strength piece, building yeah. on what you're doing here. Yeah. I wonder about this piece. Right, so right. I'm not saying you have to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I wonder about this piece. Mm-hmm. Because if you did this or if you did this, would this happen? Yeah. So that the agency stays with the student. Mm-hmm. And the more I do that, and it doesn't matter about the age or the ability yeah. of the students, the more I do that conversation constantly mm-hmm. with with students, the more they gain more agency so that when I come round, mm-hmm. I'll say, look what I did here, yeah. right? Here's what I'm proud of. You mm-hmm. should notice this. And here's what I'm wondering about. Yeah. So we teach kids to do that, right? From mm-hmm. That's true. the beginning of time. That's it's, true. A, it's a conversation. So it's all about mm-hmm. agency and, and, well, um, and I love that. self-regulation. And I, love... I, and I can't take it over. No, you can't. And but I do also yeah. don't let them off. Right. Right. right so right, I, right. it comes to, it's, you know, it's a formative assessment question all the time. But it's based on mm-hmm. success criteria and having mm-hmm. goals because I can't have those conversations. No. And that's yeah. a really good point because if they don't know the goal, they're not going to know why the task is important, right? No. And I love that or we, how they're doing or how they're doing, right? And what's next? Yeah. Those three questions because yeah. you said you know like what are you doing? Which Leighton and Deb will tell you that knowing no understanding the task is one of the most important parts of self regulation mm-hmm. of learning. Mm-hmm. So like you know what are you doing? you know how's it going how's it going and kind of like what's next what can I help you with like those are very and they're conversational they're conversational they're dialogue you see so that's sort of spinning mm-hmm. the self-regulation wheel yeah, yeah. and then if you shift that and spin the formative assessment wheel yeah. it's what's working what's not what's next what's working what's not what's next so, that's what we say to teachers all the, all time. the time yeah oh my goodness it's like they're little humans they're not just what little about? robots they just need to what like about? you know and be believing that they can actually do that they really and can we have to teach them yeah, yeah. How to do that. It's so true. And I think that the pushback that I've ever gotten from teachers around those questions is like, well, they don't know what to say. And I'm like, well, then we have to teach it. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's sometimes, because they're, you know what I mean? Like, how kids are being taught now are not how we teachers were taught. Right? Like, that, it was monologue. It was not dialogue. Um, which is from Donna last week. She That was a good one. You know, it was very much this transmissive approach of just do what I say and listen to what I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Like, empty vessel. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think now, you know, knowing your kids and finding out what they bring and then working with them to move forward, that's a different role for educators. It is a different role. But I'm going to say that it's not as black and white as that. Fair enough. Because yeah. I think you can look back through your career. And I can yeah. certainly look back through yeah, my career yeah. as a student, yeah. which is way longer ago yeah. um, there's than pockets. when you were, where I can tell you the teachers mm-hmm. that I had mm-hmm. that didn't just stand and talk at us. That's true. Right? So I think that that we've sort of got that, the perfect storm that's happening just now. Is yeah, that we've things got are coming together. Official recognition yeah. that these things really count. But I don't think we've 
I think it's been there for a long time. Yeah. We just haven't had... It was on the edges. It's, it's been more peripheral, and it's yeah. been... Hopefully, we'll have this become more systemic yeah. rather than in isolated mm-hmm. pockets. But mm-hmm. it's building from a lot of really strong bodies of research that yeah. have been out there for a while, yeah. the cognitive psychologists, mm-hmm. the social constructivists. Um, That's so true. You know, those pieces. And so it's it's making the implicit more explicit. Yeah, so true. It's so true. Um, Well, Faye, I have one last question for you. So a question that I often get is a request for thinkers and really good accessible resources that teachers can look at if they're interested in more of these ideas. Where could they go? Now, this is what I'm supposed to do on adult period flogging of our books. Well, okay. Well, I will do it for Faye. So if you don't know Faye, some really great resources, I won't make her say it, is um, Faye is the author of, of, of many incredible books that were my Bibles when I first started teaching um, that are all – and you know what? I will say this. The first book I read of Faye was Student Diversity, and it was the first book I read about inclusion that wasn't about individual students. It was about oh. the class. And so that is kind of what turned me on to the work that you do. Because you you talk about everybody. You don't talk about mm-hmm. how to retrofit a class for an individual, which to me what is what inclusion com- communities mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so please look. And I'll put some links up to Facebooks for sure because um, they're very practical and they're very accessible. For sh- Yeah, no, Faye, absolutely. And so then who do you, who do you look to for your inspiration and thinkerness? Um, well, I, I think I look to people mm, yes. more than I look to books at this stage. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's because I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so my design mind yeah. is looking at the people that I'm lucky enough to get to work with. Mm. And so there's the group of people that I co-present with. And, yes, yes. And our co-authors with me, like mm. yourself and Leighton and and um, Carol Fullerton. And mm. there's Susan Close that I yeah, wrote with yeah. for many years in the past and Judith King and Catherine mm. Feniak. And mm. um, I think I was lucky to grow up in a time mm. as an educator um, where I was involved with a whole mm. group of people who were pushing the edges yeah, all the true. time. That's and how I kind was, of feel about me too. Yeah, and it's a yeah. support group, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so you could have a great idea, but then people would just be honing in on this mm-hmm. idea and saying, yeah, but what about it? What about we had a There was a big group of critical friends. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is text. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. that's huge. So I think that most of my learning now comes... From my, my go-to resources, I would say, would be my in-class work mm-hmm. with teachers yeah. um, where, you know, we've got a complex class. Mm-hmm. Come and see. Um, That's so true. And so it's that planning and then getting in with the kids and then having that group of observers and saying, mm-hmm. well, okay, from your point of view, what worked and what didn't. Those are big learning days for those me too. Are, mm-hmm. Those are massive days. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that would be true. I've got yeah. some... Um, I think the work that we've been doing, I was thinking because I knew you were coming today. I was thinking this morning when I started teaching mm-hmm. in Manitoba, mainstreaming was mm. just coming in, yeah, yeah. just coming in. And so I was really lucky to be part of that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just grown. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's grown and, and rolled over and, mm-hmm. um, and you track that so nicely, um, in your work, in that whole conversation about how it shifted. But, um, 
I, I think about, um, I've never thought of, of everybody not being together. Right. Like that's just, that, yeah. that's just my reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even when I worked as a, I guess even had a special class sort of for a while, um, in junior secondary and when mm-hmm. I worked in learning assistance and, um, and went, you know, my little stint at being gifted, whatever in the district, um, it's just always seemed to me to make sense. We live in a yeah. society where we're all together, so yeah. why wouldn't everybody be together? So, yeah. So I don't know how that ever came into my brain, but that's just—it's a given. <laughs> it's a given. So I don't. Yeah. I find when I'm reading about inclusion, mm-hmm. often I'm kind of wanting to do like get with the program. These are old well, thoughts and, that's and why, questions. Well, like, and that's just why move forward, and that's started. why your book was so important to me because that's exactly what I noticed too. Like if you look up many special education or inclusive resources it's it's about how to include one person into a community that's already existing mm-hmm. right and so instead of starting and saying who is this community everybody right this everybody is the community. Let's yeah, get yeah, going. yeah regardless of, of of what who they are and what they bring and what their mm-hmm. strengths are and, mm-hmm. yeah so i guess if i were thinking back to your so then who would i read i would spend more time reading um in the field of literacy right or assessment yeah yeah um i'm intrigued by hattie's work yeah. In assessment, I'm just always looking at yeah, how yeah, that yeah. layers in, mm-hmm. what is he finding out, and um, literacy-wise, I've um, you know the work that Jeff Wilhelm does around oh, inquiry yeah, is yeah. just it's it's lovely and it's accessible yeah, yeah, yeah. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the primary the work of Pat Johnson and mm-hmm. her co-writer, um, and what they've done in early literacy mm-hmm. and um, catching readers before they fall is just. There's yeah. some really fundamentally mm-hmm. good yeah. pieces. That um, are for all kids. That yeah. are for all kids. They're not different. And that's mm-hmm. I guess that's the thing is that um, you know, that's something that people worry about so much mm-hmm. behavior, um, mm-hmm. which I think decreases remarkably if what you're being asked to do is desirable and possible. Um, yeah. but there's there's the other piece that's let's just give you good stuff, good mm-hmm. books good. and Good reading and get you away from those prescribed programs, which drive me stark raving mad. I know. Um, And deal with the world of making sense of the world around you, which Mm -hmm. is what literacy is all about. So there's there's some really, really good stuff and people in there. And I've missed a whole bunch of names, but I can't think of them at the point. Well, I will definitely. That's the piece that I think. Totally. And what I like and what I hear, what I hear is, you know, the the influence. The influences in your work are collaborative. Yes. Because the work is collaborative. Because right? the work and is you can collaborative. build on ideas and literature and research and all these things. And Leighton said this the other day too. He's like, you know, practice isn't research based, it's socially constructed, right? Mm-hmm. And we can build on research and practice and literature, but unless you're con- not con- unless you're considering the context and the practice in the day to day, then you can have effective practice but it's not wise practice no yes and that's the piece and so that's the part that i love Mm -hmm. is that you know so come in here work with us yeah here are the things that we think we can do here are the things we think we can't do but it's um, um, and let's figure it out and it's the responsivity of what you're bringing and what the kids are bringing and what the teachers are bringing yes right and there's so many 
really fabulous educators mm -hmm. in this province. Mm -hmm. And I do lots of work in Manitoba. And I would say, you know, and there, there's lots of, there's fabulous educators everywhere. Yeah. But I'm going to go back to that initial comment that we started with. If you don't have a mental model of yeah. what counts, that's where the research comes in. So yes. I can do yes. that piece. I can say, here's some things that we know from mm -hmm. research. Let's see what that can look like. Yeah. Um, and let's layer that into the practice. But, mm -hmm. but let's look at that piece of saying, Who's here? What are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. And then what do we do together? Yeah. And as soon as we're working together, we know enough collectively to teach we every do. one of those kids. That's my favorite quote of yours. I mean, I know I've said that 25 times in this podcast, but it's true. Individually, no one knows everything. Yeah. Collectively, we, we do. know enough. Yeah. yeah. So let's yeah. go on with it. Let's do it. Well, Faye, that's a perfect, I think, wrap up to our conversation. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Oh my goodness. I think after anyone hears this, you're going to be like, bring Faye back. And so I have a feeling that me and you will be having another conversation in the not so far distant future. Sounds grand. Thank you, Faye. Any last, last pieces of advices for the world? Find a friend. Find a friend who thinks like you or who doesn't think like you, but someone that you can carry on a conversation. Yes with on a regular basis oh, what are you so doing true. how's it going how can you make it better just like the kids just like the kids uh, thanks Faye you're welcome Isn't she fantastic? Ugh, I love Faith so much. She's just amazing. Um, her partner, Kim, um, he it was really funny because he was kind of like how I made my big break. Um, he, I was working locally with the Richmond School District, and then Kim called um, called me up, and he's like, hey, Shelly, do you want to talk at the superintendent's conference? And so that was like four years ago, and I spoke. Um, I, I told the super van story, which you can see on YouTube. Someone filmed it. But it was the very first kind of big presentation that I did. And by the end of that presentation, I had probably 15 to 20 emails from superintendents asking me to come to their district. So I have to kind of thank Faye and Kim for, for finding me um, because it's kind of set off this career that I uh, of speaking and professional development that I couldn't have even imagined five years ago could be even a possibility. And I just love it so much. So that's Faye. Definitely go look her up because she has done some incredible work with inclusion, assessment, literacy, and just all of the things. Um, the the other thing that, you, that I want to tell you about is... Um, I'm going to try changing the format of this podcast a little bit in looking at the data, because um, I love data, you guys know that. Um, looking at the data, um, I'm noticing that the listeners, you guys, you really love the interviews. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually have an interview every podcast, but I'm going to include at the end of the podcast an opportunities for stories and questions so that we can kind of do both Um um, with each podcast. So I picked um, a question and a story or two kind of questions today um, to answer. The first one is from Jill. And so she wrote to me and she said, hi, Shelly. Thank you for your podcast. My question is, I have been hearing the term congregation lately, and I saw it mentioned again in a response to the Globe and Mail article, and the author seemed to associate it synonymously with segregation in meaning that sometimes segregation is good. Does it mean the same thing, or are congregation and segregation different? Um, this came through in my email, and I was like, whoa, that is a really good question, because I was also working in... Um, in the eastern United States and this question came up too because there's actually some policies that have been created to um, reduce congregation and so I had to kind of do some work on this to be like well what actually is the difference because there's also um, a lot of questions you know connected to the deaf community like are they segregated and so in looking kind of like the difference between this you know when I saw the word congregation like what it reminded me was going to church like we were called congregations 
And that kind of like helped me kind of figure this out because I know that in the work around segregation, um, we know that what that was really um, targeting are situations where a group of people are forced apart, but they're forced apart by a person who's not a part of that community. So that to me doesn't include the deaf community because the deaf community to me, um, in, in many situations, they've kind of formed a community within themselves by choice. Um, however, if me as a hearing person say, all you deaf people go over there, like that's absolutely segregative. And so this actually, this word congregation is associated more with that idea of a choice community or a community of identity. Identity. And in that way, that makes sense, because if you think about going to church, you're choosing the church that you go to, and that's your congregation. In a similar way, you know, um, the deaf community, they're congregating by choice. And I, so I think the biggest difference here between congregation and segregation is that who is actually making the decision to group those people together? Is it decided within the community or is it decided by somebody else? And the other reason why this is important is because one of the responses to the article of the Globe and Mail, um, what the what the writer was saying, I think it was about you know, we know inclusion doesn't work for kids with complex needs. And so what she was arguing was, you know, sometimes, you know, um, there are, like, our, our, our child is congregated in a classroom um, and that's working really well for them. And, and so there's there's two responses that I had to that. The first one is, is that the disability community in itself is also an identity. And so if within the community of disability, people are choosing to be together, they are congregated, that's not segregation. And it's actually shown that we all need that. We all need communities of identity, whether it's around disability, whether it's around um, culture or race, like we have those communities all over. The problem is that often we don't see disability as an identity, we see it as a deficit. Um, and there's actually a really great Netflix um, um, special on right now um, called Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon. And if you've read his book, he talks exactly about this, how, you know, if we are vertically aligned to someone, we see that as identity, meaning like if a parent shares a character trait with their child, they see that as identity. But if they see if they see a trait that's horizontally aligned or, um, or not connected, they see it as a deficit. And so, you know, in a family, for example, if parents are queer and they have kids who also are queer they see that as identity but if the if the parents are not queer and then they have a child who's queer it's you know historically been well something's wrong we need to fix it and that's definitely getting better but that's not the only group that that happens to and so you know rolling over to education what's often happened is within the teaching community if we look at our kids and, and they're not like us we've often historically seen that as a deficit and so you know I think that word congregation is actually really, really important because even when I was, you know, working towards inclusion in the high school I was that I was school based at, there were times in the day where my kids wanted to be together because they were best friends with each other and they all had cognitive disabilities. It just wasn't all day. And you know, I think I'm doing some research around now around what are some like meaningful ratios to help guide program placements. But I think the question is less about you know, could like does it or does it not happen? But what's a meaningful um, combination for all kids? But I don't think any of those scenarios are segregation. And so I actually agree with the response saying that you know there is a time and a place for kids with disabilities to come together, but that doesn't mean it's not inclusive. And so again, it's just a misunderstanding of the term inclusion and a segregation because to me, there's no place for segregation um, anywhere in our school system. 
So that's my long-winded answer, Jill. I hope that helps a little bit. Um, and if you're out there in the school, I think that, you know, I think it's okay to tell yourself that kids can be together sometimes. You know, I think it's less about what the place is and who's there, but what's the criteria of creating that space. And just because kids are together with a like identity doesn't mean it's not inclusive. And I think we could have a whole podcast about that. So stay tuned. The next question um, is from Bryn. Uh, So Bryn says, I was listening to your podcast the other day, love the topic and love the interviews. Anyway, I have a shooting conundrum. Okay, so this is connected to the Don't Show Me video. So Bryn says, I'm hoping you can give me some thoughts on... Um, This, I am a learning assistance teacher in a 6 to 8 middle school, and we have a young man in grade 8 who is struggling academically. A quick look in his file tells me that he has been struggling since early elementary, but the catch, his mom has steadfastly refused support or assessment since the beginning. In talking to her, which is a challenge as her relationship with the school system is very broken from so much negative feedback over the years, I really think that what she's saying is, please don't should on my son. I want him to grow up to be kind and caring and a gentleman, and I don't care about his grades. That last sentence she really did say. They own a family business, so she knows that he will have a job out of high school. The struggle I have is that grade-level work is very difficult and impossible for him. Yet, without a designation, most teachers don't seem to feel comfortable meeting him where he's at. And on top of that, they are still using traditional report cards, so he ends up with a lot of Fs. I hate it. I hate seeing how defeated he is, how hurt mom is, and hate how that he will likely end up failing out of high school because of the system we're in. So my question to you is this. Do I push his mom on the designation in hopes of taking some of the burden off her son and getting him through high school? Or do I honor her wishes and hope the high school does well, which will likely um, be hit or miss depending on the teacher? Thanks so much. I appreciate any thoughts you can give me on this. Okay, this this scenario happens everywhere. Um, oh, there's so many responses. Um, I could tell you kind of like the theoretical response to this should be, um, you know, he this student should not be struggling. I mean, unless there is a cognitive disability, um, there's no reason why he can't meet that grade level work. Um, and so it's really thinking about how do we support those teachers to be able to make that work accessible um, to all students. And, and I think that aligns with the interview today with Faye is just like, how do we, you know, support the environment to support kids as opposed to try and change the kid. Um, the practical side of me is also understanding that that's not so easy because I know that teachers have a professional autonomy and I know that teachers um, in general are going through a huge systematic shift right now with curriculum and not everyone's in the same place. And so, I think that um, a designation may help if that's what teachers need to get them the supports, although we don't have regulated supports in BC anymore. And so I think that this is um, a, a big question. Um, I think what I would do is definitely talk to the mom, um, build rapport with her, connect with her, because I can totally hear where she's coming from, too. Um, it sounds like she hasn't had a very positive experience with schools and doesn't feel supported herself. So I would definitely call mom and really like work to build that rapport and, and really like lay out what it might mean um, to get assessed, but I also hate that assessment is the is is what is dependent on them getting supports because that's a huge misunderstanding. Um, you shouldn't have to get assessed to get supports, and we all know that. Um, this also might be a question to talk to admin about because um, you know professional autonomy on one hand is really important and I would always advocate for that but at the same time um, we have a professional responsibility as educators to also grow and um, in BC especially um, our entire curriculum and assessment model has changed for exactly this reason 
Um, I saw a stat the other day that said, you know, 67% of kids in BC who are on modified programs um, are don't have cognitive disabilities. Like, that is so high. And, you know, most of those kids are exactly the student in this situation who, you know, is modified because the school's not working, not because they actually have a cognitive disability. And so I think that um, this is definitely a conversation that is bigger than you, Bryn, and I think you should reach out to some um, support within your school and your district um, and see how we can support not just that kid, but that teacher to to really meet the needs. Because I also believe that if teachers aren't evolving, it's not because they don't want to. I think they just don't know how and they don't have the support they need to do that. So I think also touching base with teachers to say, what can we do to help you to meet the needs of those kids as opposed to making them the bad guy? Because I also don't think that that's um, good either. We have to support each other for sure. Whew. Okay. So there we go. First podcast of the year. Um, just a couple takeaways. If we think back to both those those questions that were sent in and also phase interview, I think the big takeaway is really just the importance of um, we have to start looking at all our kids from the start where we for so long and have been forced to assume that kids are all at the same place and they're ready for this curriculum. And we just have to stop assuming that. And I think that the, um, the inclusion 2.0 is really advocating for that is how do we actually take curriculum and make it accessible and challenging for the kids who are actually in front of us not the ones that we think should be in front of us and so um, the four questions that we reviewed with Faye um, in in how to do this and we're actually going to dig into these four questions over time but how do you design to diversity number one we have to get to know our learners we have to figure out who they are what are their interests what are their strengths Um, but also the teacher in that context who are the who's the teacher who's working with this group it's a whole community Um, if there's support staff there they're just as critical to that question um the second oh man we have to know the goals um there's a misunderstanding that moving to moving away from standardization means we're abandoning curriculum and the rigor of curriculum but i think um in this model curriculum is actually really really i find it even more important because um in order to design curriculum we have to know what it is and so just um this was has been a huge learning for me recently about the importance of backwards design where you need to know the goals of tasks and not just the tasks themselves because it is so much easier to make goals adjustable than it is to make tasks adjustable and we're going to spend more time on that. The third one is, is how do we design adjustments? And so in education, um, this is about, you know, what tasks, supports and challenges are going to help kids to meet their goals. Um, if you remember the airplane metaphor, this is about what are the adjustments of the planes that so all the pilots fit and I really believe that everyone can fit. But then the fourth one um, is, you know, handing over control so that kids can fly the plane. And what this boils down to is um, student self-regulated learning or SRL and student agency. And Faye, I think, ties that really, really nicely up with some really clear, formative questions that are conversations that we can have with kids. So those four we're going to spend more time with. But in terms of Faye... You know, every time I hear her, um, I think what really shines through every single time is this idea of high expectations. And, you know, that is so important, but it doesn't mean that we have to, like, test out our kids, sort them, and sacrifice the supports um, and their success um, because I think that um, assessment has become contaminated to be a game where supports are seen as cheating, and that is not what makes um, curriculum accessible. And and Faye, you know, had a really nice tagline in there. She's like, you know, we need to create both academic and emotional accessibility. 
um, and how we can provide emotional support, not just curricular support, it's just as important. Um, and her, the quote she said, there's no point to starting unless we actually care. And whether that's about roller coasters, Napoleon, or writing essays, it's how are we going to um, get the kids to buy in, which is just a part of that um, engagement piece of universal design. But I do have to say, that um, I have to kind of change my, I used to say, well, I do say this all the time, where I say, um, you know, we didn't grow up this way, <laughs> teachers, we were taught to teach differently, but I think I have to agree with Faye on this. She says, you know, teachers have been doing this for a long time, and she said in the interview, like, think of a teacher in your life who has or is trying to do this work of teaching to diversity, and I can think about teachers in my life that come to mind really clearly who taught me and didn't teach curriculum, so this isn't new. But I think that those teachers for a long time have been on the edges and because it wasn't valued um, or recognized and often even still today in many places around the world where um, if, you if you deviate too far from the curriculum, you feel a lot of pushback from larger groups. And so just that reminder from Faye to go find those teachers on the edges, um, find some critical friends to engage in the work with. They may not be the status quo, but the the implicit work of many teachers is becoming explicit. And I think, and I agree with Faye, it's becoming more systematically valued as we learn more and research about education. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to do this alone or without support. Um, but I think it does mean we need to be more open to collectively working together um, to design the design to meet the needs of kids from the start, um, or in the video, what we call inclusion 2.0. So. This is the work. We are deep in the work and we're gonna keep working through this. Um, friends, be good to yourselves, stay warm, go get a flu shot, and uh, I will. we will see you in a couple of weeks. Five More Minutes, produced by Shelley Moore and Paul Manson. You can find Five More Minutes on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Instagram, Spotify, Twitter, and on fivemoreminutes.com. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.